So the question is always the same. How do I get into real estate investing if I have no money? How do I find deals? How do I negotiate deals? How do I find contractors and manage rehabs? How do I get the money to even buy these houses, to hold these houses? How does a rental work? How do you manage a rental? How do you manage tenants? How do you borrow money? How do you borrow money with almost no interest? How are all these things done and how are they done the right way? Well, I am John Barbera, and this is an investor's journey where we share with you how to invest in real estate the right way and how to get into it with no money, how to do this with real tactics that are working today in the market that we're in right now with things that we are personally doing. So welcome to the show. Now, Novation Agreements. Okay. I don't know. It's, it's hot. It's trendy. It's the cool. It's what cool kids are doing. So and the, I just like how somebody explained it to me. It's like it's nothing new. It's just something the gurus are pushing now because they ran out of things to sell training on. So it was brought to us by uh, owner of one of the uh, the brokerage that we're a part of. A few of his agents had brought it to his attention, and he told us about it. And I started doing some research because you and I, you know, we're huge on creative real estate, right? That's what yeah. we've built a whole business around is being creative. When you're structuring deals, subject twos, doing wraps, you know, owner financing, uh, seller leasebacks, whatever needs to get done to get the deal done to help out the homeowner to make sure if you are flipping it, you're providing a good product. Creative real estate is is the backbone of our whole business, right? So when I heard of this, I was like, well, okay, let's check it out, right? The more research I did into Novation Agreement, and please, this is a disclaimer. We have never done a novation agreement. Uh, we have no plans anywhere in the near future of doing a novation agreement. So this is this is just research that I've done. Please do your own. Consult with your own attorney. You know all the jargon that, that go, I missed. All the disclaimers that go in the bottom. We're not attorneys, accountants, veterinarians. So please consult professional. That being said, every research I was pulling up on novation agreement. All the pros came from gurus selling courses on novation agreements, you know, and that to me was just one of those things that like sends up a lot of red flags, right? When the strategy that's so cool is only vouched by gurus that have the unique contracts and the special terms that you need to execute this agreement. And I'm like, hmm. And then the people that have brought it to us, uh, as far as like to our attention, they're not known for being the most ethical investors and doing what's right. You know, they're known for doing shady shit. So all these things put me on edge of like saying, man, I don't know if this thing is good, but I don't want to make up my mind yet. So I, I wanted to make sure that I did some good research. So basically, a novation agreement has been around for the longest time. What it, all it is, is there's a purchase and sell agreement already in place. And then you are replacing that original purchase and sell agreement with a new purchase and sell agreement. So that's what a novation is on a very basic, basic term, right? The majority of the time, a novation agreement is used on commercial real estate. That's where you see it more often. In residential real estate, it's a very rare occurrence, except if you're one of the students of these gurus. Apparently, <laughs> their students make millions of dollars a year doing novation agreements. Um, but from my understanding, you need power of attorneys. You need to put a lien on the property because the whole premise of, of, a, of this agreement is that you have a seller 
that you are saying, hey, I'm going to, let's say the seller wants 200 grand for the house and the house is worth 300 grand. This is an example they gave. So, and you, your offer as an investor would have come in at 157. They're like, I'm not going to take that one, 200 grand. Okay, this is where a novation agreement comes in. So you go into agreement with the homeowner saying that, okay, you're going to get 200 grand. I'm going to do the work that I need to do to the property, right? To get it to be worth 300. I'll sell it for the 300 and anything between the 200 and 300 is mine. But you never close on the property yourself. You never take title. You never take anything to the property. You, that's why you do a power of attorney and then you're supposed to file a lien or, you know, some gurus are saying you should have a, a set amount that you want to walk away with. So if you say, you know, at 200, I need to put 20,000 in repairs and then I'm, I want 15 grand of profit, right? You need to state that you get your repair money back and the 15 grand of profit. So that's kind of how they explained it, right? The issue I have, I mean, well, first of all, what's the issue that you see with that? If any, well, the way you explained it is like, I mean, there's just a level of risk to it. Like for me, I mean, I would just close on the property <laughs> or like, you just have this risk of that person. Like, what if they died? Your power of attorney shot. Like you can't do anything because that person's now dead and now it goes to their heirs. And now your money's tied up in that thing. Right. And it's where like, yeah, you got to lean against the property. You eventually get it back. But if you borrowed that money or if you put your life savings into it to try to make this deal work, like something were to happen to that person, it's like, there's just such a huge level of risk. And I mean, I've heard of people doing this all the time. It's called a joint venture. Yeah. I mean, like there's nothing, it's just a different term for that. And I've, I've known people that have done them and they've done them successfully. Yeah. But it just, it's like, if I just rather close, I could see where it'd be useful. Of like, Hey, hard money is very expensive to get. You have a mortgage underneath this thing at, or you have it free and clear. So why do I need to go borrow this money? If I get 200,000 in quote unquote free financing to where that would be beneficial that way. But it just would come down to the level of risk you're taking to where it's like, Hey, I, I could see doing something like that. If I only had to put a minimal amount of capital into it and that's mm -hmm. the risk to it. But that it just like, yeah, the, sure the, the way the one of the gurus that was pitching it was uh, his name is what the hell was his name? Pace Morby, Pace Morby. So he has a YouTube channel, everything. And he's you know, he, he this is where he makes his money is teaching uh, novation agreements. And please, again, keep in mind, I'm not saying I'm against novation agreements or anything. I'm just putting out there what I've researched and what I've gathered and our points of view on it. Right. So one of my concerns is you're not taking title to the property. Therefore, you're not doing any title search for it. You're not checking out, is there even a clear title? Is there any liens? Does this person yeah. even have the right to sell that home? Yeah. Like you're not doing any. And you know, I mean, we come across it. How often with the properties we come across, that's like when we, when we run title, it's like, Wait, you're not the one that's allowed to even sell this house. Yeah. What are you doing getting contracts? Yeah, right? that's a, that's where I just look at it. Of just like, it, I, I don't know. I I could see where it'd be useful, uh, in certain scenarios, but it's not a end all to be all marketing strategy of how you can do this with no money down kind of ordeal. Which is, I'm sure that's how it's being pitched. Oh, it's a hundred percent how it's being pitched. Because saying because you know you say why not just buy it? Well, you got to have the money for that. Okay. You got to have the well, money for rehab too. So. Yeah. So if you don't have the money for the rehab, right? Let's say you personally, because this is a no money down kind of thing. You don't have the money for rehab. You are going to get a loan 
And that loan, chances are, is going to be in a second lien position because the majority of people have a mortgage. So which lender is going to give you a second lien position on a property you don't own? Yeah. No, I mean, that's what I said. Like, you would need to do exactly like you said. You'd get it under contract. You have a contract or somebody do a full title search to the thing. You get a power of attorney. You get documents drafted up. You, I mean, it's a, it's just risky. It is like this is a, there's an unnecessary level of risk that I think is being marketed in a way that shouldn't it shouldn't be. But there are, I'm not saying there aren't certain scenarios to where it makes sense to do something like that. Yeah. Like the joint ventures, I mean, they just say, like, hey, it's, I'd see it being useful. It's like, it's really too tight for me to really want to mess with for what price you want. But I could see your point of like, yeah, I could see where this could be worth that amount of money. So it's like, I will do it to where I'm going to put in $10,000, $15,000, and I want three times my profit back, and then the rest is yours. Whatever it may sell for. That's a joint venture. The, the pro- yeah, but the problem is, like, who determines that sales price? Exactly. Who determines, who has the power? The ultimate power comes down to the person that holds the title. It needs to be their signature, even though, oh, I could sue them. You could. Well, who's going to pay for that? Well, who's gonna, it, you can't you can force somebody to get rid of a property, but that's a very expensive property. Process. Yeah. So it would have to, because we've done it, one of these deals before with uh, some partners out of Austin, to where they put the money up to do something and they wanted three times back, and then after that they we, they split the profit afterwards. Yeah. I was like, those happen all the time, but a yeah, lot but of times. How like, much of a headache was it when they did just, it? There's just a lot of risks yeah. and pitfalls in that, where you really like literally you're going into business with that seller, so you have to think exactly. like, how ethical are you? I just met you. We've had maybe thirty minutes, forty minutes worth, forty five minutes worth of conversations. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to go into business together. Yep. So it would have to be very certain situations and have to trust the people. I just don't see it being a like, yeah, a and good it, strategy and we have, they, as across the board. A friend of ours, David Overhauser, local investor, he asks, how do they account for an appraisal that might be less than the expected price? That's exactly right. Like to me, it's all of the the risks that are associated with, you know, what if the market turns? What if anything slows down? What if you don't sell for what you think you're going to sell, right? And Novation, from, again, what, what we've gathered, this is a very advanced strategy. And the way these gurus are pushing it is this is something that, you know, every new wholesaler needs to be doing Novation. I'm like, no. You know, from if you're needing power of attorneys, putting liens, knowing all these things, plus the second agreement of the purchase of the home needs to be approved by the seller as well. Yeah. So what if the seller looks at it and says, wait, 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 you're getting way too much money for this. I saw what you did. I saw the work you did. You know, no, I don't agree to this shit. I want more or I want this or the whatever, whatever. You don't know what they're going to do. And yeah, you have a power of attorney. You have a lien, but you still can't steal the property from them. Yeah. <laughs> like now oh, you're pro- talking yeah, about legal attorney, fights. Like that's the same like, thing with power of attorney. Every time we've used one, the title company, whoever's verifying it, calls that person that day to make sure, hey, is this power of attorney still in effect? Right. That's what I said. If that person dies, you can't call them to verify that power of attorney has gone. And that that person could be pissed and be like, no, they could call title company. They could file a document that says this is null and void that the title company can find. There's a lot of things about that. I mean, where I hear this, uh, the the I don't know if you have this in there about like why wholesalers are saying it's the best thing of trying to basically wholesale on the MLS. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to touch on that, but go ahead. Okay. Well, I mean, this is where I've heard this, where people say, oh, Novation, it's, it's so cool. You can wholesale on the MLS. 
Like, exactly. Because you have the power of attorney. Because you have that... a power of attorney. So right. the way they're, they're looking at it is like, hey, I've got a contract and I have a power of attorney to exercise on the seller's behalf. Yeah. So you have a sales contract and now you're saying, hey, I'm going to buy this for $100,000. And since you have a power of attorney, you can now sign, they say legally sign a listing agreement beyond that and say, okay, I can see that you have power of attorney, you have right to execute on that. And now they're putting on the MLS and as the property sells, you can execute that difference in the novation portion of a swap, the contracts, and you can make a spread in between. You're saying, Hey, I'm selling this thing for 200, but then I have a purchase sale agreement for 250, and I'm going to swap those two and I'm going to make 50 in the center. Right. But a lot of it where I've heard people like even like real estate is like, people that have their license in wholesaling are trying to do this. Like, well, I'm a real estate agent, so I can list it myself and I can buffer my commission. Like, no. Like, <laughs> Where's your fiduciary thing, responsibility? There's a fiduciary responsibility <laughs> to your client. Like, you can't have a power of attorney. Well, yes, it looks like, but I have the power of attorney. I have this, that, and the other. Like, yeah. But you sit in front of somebody like, how, do you, how are you putting yourself first or your client first when you have the power of attorney, you're controlling, you're getting compensated via the commission yep. and you're executing the sales price negotiation. You're supposed to be on behalf of your client, oh, gets, not on yourself. It's dirty in all kinds like, of ways. You there. can't yeah. do that. But I could see to where somebody could have the, the co sales contract, have the power of attorney agreement and use a separate agent to um, yeah, execute the, list the, list the yeah. agreement to where like, you can't be the listing agent too and try to get a commission off of your client when you are your own client kind of thing and you just have this third party over here. Yeah. That's where it's like, no, you're not going to be able to do that. So I have so, seen that and heard about it. So what, you know, our recommendation is you, you can check out this guy, Pace Morby. There's also another guy, Flip with Rick. He has also a YouTube channel and he's very vocal against Novation Agreement. He's like, first thing, there's no such a thing as a Novation Agreement. He's like, that doesn't exist. Novations are essentially the replacement of one contract with another. There isn't an agreement. There isn't nothing there. He's like, all you're doing is paying a guru that's going to essentially give you these contracts drafted by their attorneys you know, that is in agreement. And I've seen some of these contracts. Um, and one of them is 132 pages for executing one of these. I was like, if you need that many pages to execute on a contract, oh boy. Like, I mean, again, going back to why this isn't good for newbies, new people have trouble with a standard contract. Yeah. They have trouble negotiating. They don't want to do a, do a ten page contract and they come out with these one page contracts. Yeah. Just they, to make make their life easier. They struggle with even understanding that concept. And this is not knocking on newbies, it's just what it is, right? It's 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 a difficult process. They struggle with the negotiating, with rapport building, with everything. Now you gotta walk this seller through all of these contracts and pretty much telling them how like, you know, yes, it's still your house, but I control everything about it, but you still got to make your mortgage payment. And hopefully you keep making your mortgage payment moving forward. Cause you know, if not, we're going to have a difference of, uh, what you're going to get, what the mortgage is going to be. I mean, there's so many things involved. So Flipwood Rick is another guy I recommend. Just go check them both out, listen to their points of views and make a decision for yourself. But what I strongly recommend is if you decide to pursue this, go find a real estate attorney, not just a, you know, a family attorney, a real estate attorney 
and talk to them about this. How yeah. does innovation work? Try to find a title company that will close on one. Try to find a, a real estate brokerage that will uh, list innovation agreement with you know with those terms in place. Yeah, I mean, Dave puts out here too. It's like a much better strategy that accomplishes the exact same thing as like an equity partnering. So where you the agreement's still roughly the same. They're like, hey, they get this agreed upon amount. And then you get X number of dollars first kind of ordeal, and then you split stuff with that. But you still take title to the property. Like, it's still right. yours. If things go astray and things get, get dicey, at least you know you own the property. You're like, well, I'm going to sell this thing, and then this is the money you're going to get. And if you're pissed about it, then you can, you can sue and try to do everything that you want to do to try to get more out of the ordeal. Yeah, but, but, but at least you, you hold the title. You hold something that's giving you, you know, the, the comfort saying that, like, hey, the seller can't do – like, you, you know – you're always hoping that it doesn't go into, I'm going to sue, you're going to sue, yeah. all this. This is why we'd say, like, when it comes down to stuff like this, you got to understand, you're taking on the seller, and sometimes it could be a, a distressed seller as a partner. Yep. Do you really want to take that risk of taking a distressed seller as a partner? Yep. You know, because that could be literally the partner from hell that you're going to have to be dealing with. I mean, so, it's, it's similar to like an owner finance ordeal when you take something that way. It's like, yeah. they're not a partner. You control the property. It's all yours, but the under, you owe them the underlying financing. Yeah. Or if you have somebody, we've had a, a friend, a good friend of ours, he owner financed something for a short period of time. And then the guy was like, just showing up to the house and putting like, I'm foreclosing this letter on the front door. And just like, he had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> and like, he didn't have any like real recourse because the terms were being met. The guy just didn't understand what he was doing. Right. And so he just, and he just caused a ruckus and, and you still have have to deal with that person because like at the end of the day they still got to give you a payoff like and if they're not giving you a payoff the title company's not going to close on it then you got to get attorneys involved to try to get the right. payoff amount and it could cause problems so 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 pace morby uh, he says that within his course he teaches three ways of doing ovation agreements mm. the first way is good is a net listing okay i was like those so you're calling a net listing an ovation agreement okay so we talked about net listings. Break that down real quick. A net, li a net listing, what's the premise of a net listing? A net listing is basically, uh, it was kind of funny, the little backstory. Of, like when I went through my real estate courses and stuff like that, like <laughs> I, I, when it comes to getting your license, I've always said, like just get through the courses because you don't start learning how to do real estate until you're actually out doing real estate. And uh, so I just got through the courses because that's what somebody told me. And the one thing I got from it was this net listing thing. It's like, wait, so the seller can say they want 100 and I can list it for more. And I my commission essentially floats and you can get whatever above a certain amount. So it's essentially what it is. And then um, Stepstone, she's like, huh, I've never had anybody really ask that in all the years I've been doing this. So they talked to some attorneys and it comes back down to the fiduciary responsibility piece of if you're saying, oh, the seller wants 100 and I'm gonna list it for 150 and now you you get, a, you, the seller agrees, I'm gonna get the first 100, I'm gonna get the first $100,000. All right. And then, then essentially the agent can say, I'm going to get whatever they want above that. But where isn't there a cap though? Well, no, that that's where it said when that was the issue, it's like, well, how okay. do you prove your fiduciary responsibility? That was, uh, our, her, our bro, Angie's point. So she talked to attorneys like, how do we mitigate the things? Cause they always have to look at this. Like if we get called in front of a judge, how are we going to explain this? And how do we prove that we maintained our fiduciary responsibility? Right. So the agreement, they came up with a separate agreement. And uh, uh, basically how they said the first seller is going to get the first X number of dollars. And then the agent needs to designate how much of a cap they're going to get. Mm -hmm. So it puts in there because it's one of the things like 
you are essentially negotiating the contract on behalf of the seller, knowing that your commission's floating in between. So it kind of could be proved by lawyers like, well, you're negotiating for a higher price and you cause detriment to your client because you wanted a bigger commission. Right. So when you put into those net listing agreements, it's essentially that I'm listing your house for you and you get the first hundred thousand dollars yeah. and I'm going to list it for one, one twenty. And because then the seller, you put in that agreement, you have the right to negotiate into there because it's your commission that's floating, but it comes to a certain cap. You have to say, but I'm not going to make more than $10,000 on this ordeal. And really the, the, the reason why we even entertain net listings when, when, I mean, that was pretty much the only thing you took out of the whole real estate course. And if you're, if you're saying to yourself right now, holy crap, this is some good information. You know, I, this is stuff that I just, I didn't, I didn't even know was available. I'm learning some amazing strategies. Then... All I ask from you is just shoot on over to an investor's journey on YouTube, find this video and just give it a little thumbs up. You know, I'll put the link in the description just so it's one click like and you're done. How much easier can that be? Right. Just give me some support. Show me some love. That's all I ask from you. And I will keep putting out this amazing content. So show me some love and enjoy the rest of the show. Uh, the whole real estate training of getting your license. But the biggest thing that we took from that was when you were coming across these lower end homes, right? These lower, not, yeah, lower price homes. Most agents don't want to list a $60,000, $70,000 home, right? Because the commission is Well, yeah, because when you look at a $60,000 so and you get 3% of that's right. 1800 and your brokerage has a flat fee of X number of dollars or takes a third of it. It's like all that work for a thousand bucks or $600, like yeah. it's not worth it. I mean, now you're just basically representing tenants. So it, so it, it kind of gives you a, a way of being able to also list it and still make a little bit more than the traditional listing fee. So at least it makes it more worth your time, even though there are people out there that they, they have systems in place and everything. But that was the whole premise well, of and that's why we said, even considered and it. And people even say too, like, well, in your listing agreement, you say, I'm going to list this for you, but I it's not 3%. I'm going to list it for $5,000 minimum. So you can put that in there. So that kind of like I'd much rather somebody try to do that to say I'm going to list it for five grand than a net listing agreement because it just opens the door for an attorney to go in there and just be like, no, you negotiated on your behalf, no. not on your clients, to buffer your piece. Well, and we've actually used a net listing before too. I've used it one time, right. and the scenario was because of the person was in foreclosure, and the spread of what we thought we could get to. Uh, what they owe and what they were trying to get out of the deal, it, there just wasn't enough there. So basically, and it wasn't 3%, it was less. So instead of designating like, hey, I'm not going to do this unless it's 3%, I cut my commission to be that floating piece to make sure this thing closes. So the seller gets their their lien paid off, they get $5,000, the buyer's agent gets their piece, and I'm the one that has the floating commission in there. Yep. And I put in there saying, I'm not going to make more than the 3% on this ordeal. So let me list this for you. And my commission is the piece that just floats in between. So you don't have to go in there and do a bunch of paperwork to try to say like, well, there's not enough money in here to cover all the commissions that are contractually obligated. Yeah. Or it's like, well, contractually obligated, my commission just- So, so you did it even the opposite. You didn't do it to get more money. You did it to help them out. So it didn't matter how much money you got. Yeah. And that's what I said. I capped it. And I was like, I'm not going to make more than $10,000. And I knew there wasn't that kind of equity even in right. the property. It would happen if there was. That's, Again, sitting in front of a judge, it's, it's saying like, hey, he was in foreclosure. Uh, this was the amount because that amount changes constantly every single day. Yeah. So we're like, I need to make sure I covered the agent's fee and I need to make sure the lien was paid off. So I knew what that numbers were going to kind of come in at and I cut my commission to be whatever was left. 
mm-hmm. which was going to be on my intentions when I ran this it was going to be less than 3%. And then I even capped myself at 3% or whatever, which a certain standard. dollar value. Yeah. So it's like, that's another piece of mirror. It's like kind of the low end or certain scenarios where there's a financial piece that, because even in that scenario, it's like, I can't put, I'm going to make $2,000 on this because it could float and it's, I'm cutting myself potentially short if there's a little extra left right. in there. So it might be like 3.1% or 3.2. It's not going to be these huge windfalls because I've had agents call me uh, or not agents investors call me and say, Hey, I want to do this net listing thing to where you can list a property for me. And I try to get like $50,000 out of that. Like, <laughs> no, like, that's not how, that's Wait, not how this they works. Want you to list it they want they- me to list it. And like, can you net list this thing? And then we, we partner up so I can get this split. And you're like, no, like that is just asking for trouble. And, uh, well, we, we even have on here, uh, the broker owner of uh stepstone realty, Angie Francis, she comments, these gurus don't pay any attention to the agency rules they don't care they, they don't, don't need care. to how many times have we seen gurus say you don't need to get a real estate license you don't need that crap you, you don't need to be a licensed agent and technically yes you do not need to be a licensed agent to be in real estate and we did a whole video on should you get your license but having your license opens up your door tremendously i mean when we, even even now uh, how many deals are we closing right now that are traditional listings that have just come because of our network, because of situations. And and they don't require that much work, but we're able to do it simply because we got the license. I mean, that's exactly what I was just trying to think through. It's like just this last month alone, February, so we closed three retail transactions. Uh, as as a licensed agent, I helped mm-hmm. help list three properties, or actually four. Um, got commissions off those. And then you look at all of the properties, like we have four. Or I just did this morning, I switched one of our properties to pending. And I was like, I got four listings on there. And like, they're all pending. I was like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And then, but like, I look at the cumulative amount saved by having a license, especially like one's listed for 300 and other listed for like 190. And other like, you start adding that up across all those commissions and you just look at it. It's like, well, so I represented three listings this month that made X number of dollars. I saved this amount by listing my own properties. Cause right now it like, it doesn't take much to list a house. Yep. Everyone says like, Oh, you don't need to be doing that stuff. Like, yeah, it's like the dollar per hour saved by like on a $300,000 house. That's nine grand. Yep. And you guess broker commissions, whatever it may be. But when you're listing a house, like, yeah, I might have two, three hours invested into that thing. I don't know about you, but $3,000 an hour, it's like, I'll go ahead and save myself $3,000 an hour by listing my own property. So when you add that, like it adds up to a very sizable chunk of money that you, we save just this know. month Look, alone. I, that I don't agree with because I don't get out of bed if I'm not making at least 10 grand an hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guru. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Um, so, so that's the first uh, way of doing an ovation, according to him, is a net listing, which, you know, to me, that's not a novation. That's a net listing. The second way is an actual novation where you're replacing one contract with another. And the third way is doing a partnership, a JV. So where am I going with this? Is we hear so many times of somebody coming out with this new way that you're going to be able to invest in real estate with no money, with this, with this. And it's new. There's nothing new. Nothing. None of the things that they talk about is new whatsoever. Everything that they're talking about has been done time and time again. It's been done since the beginning of time. Like nothing, none of it is new. That's just to your point. Like my argument to that is like, well, then how did the laws get written the way the laws are written? 
to exactly. be able to do these things pull off like well yes there are gray areas that you can work within and if you do them on a large enough scale then some politician or some lawmaker gets involved and sees it and laws can change and new strategies can quote unquote come up or new ones can disappear which like the um what's the one that you liked in new york that you can't do here uh, uh, lease options. Lease options. Can't do them here in Texas anymore, even though they like, some guru attorney says, like, oh, yes, you can. You do all these special contracts, and we've sent them to other attorneys. And he's like, well, yeah, they kind of cover you, but there's this one area that's like, eh, I don't know about that. Like, right. you, good luck with that. It's sitting in front of a judge or getting sued for it. So, so all that being said, you know, we had a discussion yesterday where because of things like this is why wholesalers come under fire. Well, that's right. Dave Oberhauser puts, perhaps the only new is the term novation. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, but it's wholesalers are coming under fire more and more. And it's usually because of things like this. We start seeing things like this, you know, these potentially new strategies. I, I remember even a guru one time saying, you know, I'm going to teach you how to flip a house without ever putting a dime into the house you're going to be flipping houses making a bunch of money and you don't even have to lift a hammer or was hire that, a contractor was that the, the astro flipping i don't yeah. know i don't know that was that but, was one that got me that made me laugh and then when I, and i was curious i was like what what's what's he talking about is this something new and when you looked at it he was just talking about wholesaling yeah but he just called it you know flipping uh, anyway it's just Guru things. That was the, very that was, funny. That was the astro flipping guy. I was like, oh, there's the same speech like that. I was like, I'm going to you to do astro flipping. I was like, what is that? <laughs> astro flipping. And he started looking at it. I was like, bro, you're just teaching wholesaling, but you just some fancy term astro flipping to make people watch it. He got me. I was like, astro flipping. Like, what are you doing yeah. now? And, but that's exactly what it was. It's like, it's just a different term for something, just putting a new spin on something old. So, like, is, so going back to you, we're looking at this and all these new terms and everything like this is incentivizing new people to get into real estate and do things they don't completely understand. They don't understand the contracts. They don't understand the process, the legalities, and it's making regulation and everything come down hard on wholesalers now, right? So your point, you know, that you were making yesterday was pretty much like it's because of these things that at some point, wholesaling is probably going to get banned. So do you want to touch on that, what you were pretty much arguing yesterday? Uh, I wasn't arguing. I was <laughs> educating you on what the facts were. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just one thing because you see, like, they put out a big survey, Trek did not too long ago, that uh, was a survey to all their licensed agents and different people, their database, mm -hmm. and is asking several questions on their interactions with wholesaling. Because where I, why I think this is happening is because it enough in consumers have been hurt by quote unquote wholesalers that enough complaints have been filed from agents enough from consumers that regulators are now putting an eye on this and it's because enough in consumers are getting hurt and enough money is being transacted that they're like oh, okay we kind of have this wild west thing going on where you have these unlicensed people unregulated skirting around the laws that are there for a certain reason and the in consumer is getting either financially hurt or well i mean really it comes down to financially hurt or detriment at some some point um and that's why regulators step in and say like what is going on that's why they we almost lost sub twos a few years ago is because some bad actor financially devastated a lot of people out in i think it was west texas and that's when they came in and said okay well what's going on because we can't have this happen anymore so here here was you know my thing again 
They're, the homeowners are getting financially hurt. How are they getting financially hurt? If you're wholesaling a property, you're negotiating with the seller, right? A price that they are okay with receiving. And then you're wholesaling it, obviously, for a higher price. How are they financially hurt if they agreed to the price, if they were okay with the price? How are they financially hurt? Well, the, the other side of that, well, I mean, you look at it when it comes to a judge. Like mm -hmm. I always said, like, mm -hmm. and I, I can think it was Angie or Dan or somebody or just like, I always look, do things as when it comes to real estate, if it's like kind of a gray area or it's like, I, if I'm explaining this to a judge and a jury, can I explain why I did what I did and how I made the things that I made? Right. So say you got, you contract a, a, a steal of a property, you get it for 60 grand. And I've heard of these like six figure wholesale agreements and stuff oh, like yeah. that, where somebody Double, not necessarily they don't double close because they never executed on the contract they just basically sold their rights to the property which is legal to do right. so they got contracted for 60 and then they sold the rights to that contract for say a 78 another 80 grand for a total sales price of 140. so now that that in consumer just comes and says yes they agreed to that contract to sell it to you for sixty thousand dollars well, it turns out you didn't sell it. I didn't sell it to you. You misrepresented yourself in the transaction you were going to do, and you sold to Joe Schmo over there for $150,000 and made a huge windfall in the center. So now when you explain that to a judge, the judge can be like, but you never told them you, were, you weren't going to buy it. You represented yourself as, I'm going to buy this property. And then you went and made a ton of money on the other side and sold it to somebody else. And you did not you disclosed, you deceited the person. You were hiding the fact that you were making this huge amount of money. Yeah. And now you look at it like, but your trip, trip, that way they would say it, like your typical real estate commission is anywhere at three, maybe 5% of whatever the sales price is in that transaction where you never took title of the property. You just sold to somebody else. You acted like a real estate agent, but you weren't licensed. You were looking out for yourself and made a huge windfall in the center. Now here, here just to unpack that a little bit. Um, you misrepresented yourself. There's nothing in the contract that says that you cannot sell your rights to that Correct. contract. So you didn't misrepresent yourself. You you potentially had an interest of buying the property. And then whatever happened, you changed your mind and you sold your interest to buy that property. Correct. You, you didn't deceive the homeowner because the homeowner was told that they were you were going to close on this day and you were going to get paid this much money. That still happens. So how is the homeowner deceived if you're not doing any of the things that are deceitful? Because, I mean, are you not telling them that you're wholesaling it? You don't have to. Why would? Why do you need to? Like, what does it matter if well, you just you're, look at it, you're like, abiding by what you said you were going to do? And, and, that, and there's, you are doing exactly that. But you look at the law and you look at how things have happened over time you, to where people get in trouble where you can say like, yeah, but they signed this agreement. And it's like, I get they signed that agreement and that is legal. But you took advantage of that person in that certain situation. You see that all the time. Like banks get into that all the time, pushing predatory loans, getting people just to sign something, this huge document to sign it. But then they come out with some class action lawsuit saying – yeah, but you pushed these products in a way that was deceitful of what they were actually getting. But how do you prove that it was deceitful? Because you say, you know, you got it it's for like that's, a, a lot lower, right, than you should have. How do you know I got it for a lot lower than I should have? I did, those are the numbers that I ran that it would have worked for me. I don't know if it would have worked But higher. the fact it's the fact that you didn't go through with what you're saying. It would have worked for you. Then why didn't you close on if it didn't work for you? What does it matter? It, the sellers still got what they what I told them they were going to get. It's still closed when I told them it was going to close. What is the difference? Why does that matter? 
because you didn't, you deceived that person. You told them it's like, Hey, I'm going to use negotiations, high pressure sales tax to beat your price down. Knowing on the back end, I can sell this thing for a huge windfall. I'm not telling you I'm going to do that. I'm just going to get you under this contract and now push this thing. And that's why people are starting because you're hearing about these yeah, things but, more and so more. So let's and say more. you're you're anticipating, right, selling it for a huge windfall, and then you realize that you can't sell it for that huge windfall because th no, there aren't any you know stupid investors in your market, so they're not going to overpay that much. So now you do have to close on it. So you still didn't deceive deceive them because in that, that scenario, yeah, you now you actually fulfilled your obligation of the contract. But you weren't you being presented. deceitful. You were just seeing if there was somebody else that could probably make it work with better than than you can so you're saying that in, uh, in front of a judge because this is what we're arguing we're arguing if you're sitting in front of a judge yeah how do you defend this yeah right so you're saying in front of a judge the judge is going to say that you were being intentionally deceitful you knew your intentions were to wholesale it because you were you didn't and, have the capital and then, and or whatever then, it is. And then it comes down to the piece of a fee. Or like if it's only like ten grand, it's mm. like oh, it's not that okay. Ten grand over sixty thousand dollars. Yes, you you were deceitful or whatever it might be, but you're only talking like a ten percent fee. It's it's the huge ones. And we hear about them of somebody making a shitload of money, and then that person that you across from, it's like this isn't a business. This is just an, an individual. That's why laws a lot of times get written is to help protect the end consumer from people that have superior level of knowledge. You're an expert in real estate. They're not. They have no idea. And they contacted you and you got them to sign some contract and then they, you made a huge windfall at their expense, their financial expense. Now flip it to the other way. We run into these people where we say, I'm going to buy it for 100 because you know it makes sense for 100. Some wholesaler comes in there, say they're in foreclosure and says, oh, I'll give you 120 for the house. Who's that person going to sign with? They're going to sign with that investor that can do it for 120 and they're going to lock them in a contract Then seller sneak and they're going to be able to sell the property and then come day of closing, they couldn't sell it to anybody. They had no intention of ever buying the thing. Right. And then that drove them into foreclosure. There's another scenario on the other side. It's not making too much money. It's you were promised too much money by somebody that didn't know what they were doing and now you were financially hurt because you got foreclosed on. You're saying this person said they were going to buy my house and never did. Well, but now we're talking about... Uh slightly two separate things i do agree i understand and i agree with what we we've always condemned these uh wholesalers that are contracting and this is because again these freaking gurus right just get it on the contract just get it on the contract you'll yeah. find somebody like no if you don't know that it's the right price or anything then you shouldn't be getting it on their contract 